Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Uh, we're expecting some relief from the cold weather here in Alberta once we get into the weekend. Looking elsewhere in Canada and uh, the United States, however, uh, things could get ugly. Uh, with some regions uh, bracing for some nasty storms. Of course, uh, Vancouver, the West Coast, has been pretty hard hit as well. Uh, All of this is leading to some considerable demand for electricity, for power. As Alberta remains in the grips of this cold snap, yesterday we set a new load record, 1.21 gigawatts. Now, that's not right. Uh, 12,193 megawatts. A new load record uh, in Alberta, breaking the previous record, which was set on Monday. Uh, and so through it all, you know, we've, we've kept the grid going. There have been some grid alerts, which and we'll get some better understanding of what that means, but essentially means, you know, the system is strained. I know there were some issues yesterday with one power plant in Alberta that made things uh, all the more precarious, but we've got through it. Now, there are some bigger questions, too, about, you know, looking forward. Yesterday also happened to be the announcement from the federal government regarding electric vehicles. And the target that by 2035, 100% of new vehicles sold in Canada will be electric. And is that going to add to our demand? And as we move to decarbonize, what does that mean for Alberta's electricity grid? Because we're very heavily reliant on natural gas. Well, joining us for some thoughts on some of these big questions, very pleased to welcome the program here this morning, Blake Schaefer, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at the uh, University of Calgary School of Public Policy and someone who focuses specifically on electricity market economics. Professor Schaefer, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Good to be here. I really liked your Back to the Future reference. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that one. I appreciate it. Um, so why, why though, are we setting records, first of all? I mean, maybe it's just because we have a larger population now, but, um, you know, it's cold weather, not necessarily record cold. What's been going on this week? Well, it's pretty darn cold. It sure is. <laughs> I guess that's sort of stating the obvious, but, it, I mean, this cold weather is really, really the bulk of it. You're right. We have greater population. In fact, some of the news that came out yesterday, a separate topic, but the big jump in population. Alberta's growing like gangbusters right now in terms of population. Um, but it, it's the cold weather. So even though the predominant heating here, um, the primary heating for, for most buildings in Alberta is natural gas, uh, there's still a lot of secondary electric heat. Um, so there's space heaters, resistance heaters, baseboard, et cetera, that still comes in as secondary. But also everything works a lot harder. So whether it's the HVAC on those gas furnaces or pumps or motors, uh, we're just using a lot more electricity. And so as you pointed out, we, you know, we broke records on Monday. Uh, we broke record at 5 p.m., broke it again at 6 p.m., and then last night at 6 p.m., broke it again. So a new all-time load record for the province. And yesterday was, was tricky, too. I mean, we had the record demand. I, I know there were some, some issues with supply. What was going on yesterday? Yeah, it was, it's been actually a really interesting three days. So on, on Monday, breaking that load record, um, there was actually a lot of wind The wind was blowing quite heavily in the province that day. So despite breaking a load record, we were actually exporting for a big chunk of the day to Mm -hmm. to B.C., who's sending it through to the United States and directly to Montana. Uh, Tuesday was a different story. Uh, We had low wind. So even though we had a little less demand, it was a a bit dicier because the wind wasn't there. But the full gas fleet was running strong. Uh, So we made it through Tuesday. 
thinking that would be enough. But then Wednesday morning, we wake up to uh, increase in demand, but also one of the larger gas plants tripped offline that morning. So that immediately sent us into this um, energy emergency. So the, the grid operator, the ASO, takes a series of steps. They start shoring up the reserves that we have in the province. So these are parts of power plants that we keep in reserve just for these situations. They get those readied. Uh, they, they stop all exports in an emergency, but we didn't have exports at the time. They'll make requests for more imports, but they were pretty full up. Um, so then they start using doing these voluntary load curtailment programs. So these are large and large customers that have signed up to be curtailed in times of need and get paid for that. Um, and then we really it was it was sort of you know biting your fingernails time there through the peak as the as the demand kept going up. But thankfully that that one power plant that tripped offline came back to about half. Uh, its capacity during the peak, so it was able to generate some megawatts. The wind picked up a little bit during that period too, and, and we skated by. But it was very close. Uh, the next stage after that would have been rolling blackouts to conserve demand to avoid a system blackout. But we let, thankfully didn't have to get there. Well, yeah, no kidding. So system blackout—that's I mean, as bad as it sounds. That's kind of the worst case scenario. What what would get us to that point, or what happens at that point? Yeah, so that's the catastrophic thing. We never, never want to see that, and that's actually quite rare. I mean, even you know, we, the the February incident in Texas, where they had the blackout, right. if you will, for several days. That wasn't a system wide blackout. Those were actually rolling brownouts. They were controlled, um, but they had to reduce it to to stay to keep their demand uh, within the level of supply they had available to them. <laughs> they lost a bunch of supply across all of their fleet. Um, so you, you do that in that controlled manner to avoid the catastrophic system blackout because what happens there is, you know, what, once you start to have demand exceed supply, your frequency starts deviating, the frequency of the system. So you can think of this as the turbine spinning faster and faster to try to keep up. And they go out of tolerance, and then the systems shut down because they don't want to hurt the equipment. And when you have more supply shut down, the rest of the system, again, has to spin faster and faster. And that's this cascading blackout. So at all costs, you want to avoid that. So that's why they go for the, the thing that we're more familiar with, which is still uncommon, which is we, in the industry, we might call it a, a rolling brownout or a firm load shed. To you and I, we just see it as a blackout because our lights go off. But, but it's controlled and it's done neighborhood by neighborhood so that no neighborhood would have it offline for too long. But but again, we didn't have to go there yesterday, thankfully. Yeah, that's good. So in terms of what we're relying on, you, you alluded to the wind, and you know when the wind is blowing, that helps, because you know wind is, is part of our system. There are some challenges when it comes to wind in the winter, however. So w- what's the mixes we have right now? I think it's about 10%, as I understand, is renewables, pretty heavily reliant on natural gas. How does it break down? Yeah, so it kind of depends what we're talking about, whether we're talking about the the nameplate capacity, so the potential to produce, Mm -hmm. versus what actually gets produced, which we call energy. So in nameplate capacity, there's a lot of solar now. Um, You know, there's about 5% of the system is solar, and and in terms of wind, I think we're close to 20% of capacity now is wind. So it's it's grown like, it's it's pretty amazing when you think back. I, I think we talked a few years ago. Uh, there was almost no solar two years mm-hmm. ago, and wind was about a thousand megawatts. Now it's thirty six hundred megawatts. So it's a it's a big amount that we have there, but we don't rely on that for these peak reliability times. Um, you certainly don't rely on solar to meet the winter peak, because the winter peak occurs <laughs> after the sun is set. So there's this thing that we call effective load carrying capacity, 
which is when you take a type of generation and you consider how much does it contribute during the peak period. And for solar, we actually consider that to be zero because that comes uh, after the sun sets. For wind, it's quite low. And in Alberta, it's quite low, because lower than most, because the wind systems down in Pincher Creek, they, they tend to go to near nothing when we have these big high-pressure systems that bring about this really cold weather that brings about the peak demand. So, and in fact, we're still seeing that, even though we got a fair amount of wind yesterday, that wind was in the sort of mid-central, if you will, of the province, um, not not down in that Pincher Creek region. So we have kind of two areas of wind farms in the province, but that, that southwest, the original area, wasn't getting much wind at all. It was really the middle part that was getting the wind. So we, we don't rely on the wind and solar to, to be there in the peak of winter. That's why we have this big gas fleet, and, and that's there. Um, to, pr- to provide our energy during the peaks. Renewables are really just providing raw energy when they produce. And so they're displacing the fuel from natural gas, letting us save on fuel and save on emissions uh, when the sun's shining and the wind's blowing. So as we look ahead, and there's some bigger questions, I mean, yesterday coincided with all of this, the announcement from the federal government regarding electric vehicle targets, and, and it's pretty clear whether it's government-driven or consumer-driven, we're, we're moving in this direction. What kind of challenge does that pose in terms of overall demand, but also going with that, you know, the, the push for decarbonization and our reliance on, on natural gas? Yeah, two different things there. So maybe I'll tackle them separately. Sure. On EVs, the push for EVs, yeah, there was the announcement yesterday, a 20% sales target in only, what, four years? To, yeah. I guess three years next week, <laughs> um, uh, advancing to 100% by 2035. So that, that's aggressive in terms of the supply chain on EVs. For the electric system, and I know this sounds cavalier in the midst of a grid emergency to say, but I, I'm less concerned. The things we know are it will, of course, increase the demand for electricity. Demand for, like, providing electricity at, at sort of any time isn't necessarily the issue. It's at specific times. So it's if EVs all want to charge between 4 and 7 p.m., and especially want to do so on the peak days, then yes, we have a problem. But the thing with EV charging is it's a very flexible demand, and pretty much all EVs have schedulers on them now, so you can schedule your charging uh, that won't be for all your charging, of course. When you're on a trip, you need to charge when you need to charge. Um, but there's a lot of time when you have a lot of flexibility. This is actually an area that I'm doing a lot of research in. I've got four pilots in the field right now with different utilities, and we're, we're testing out people's willingness and, and ability to shift. And, and we're just finding tremendous potential. It's unlike any other device they have in the home. And that's understandable. I think it's, it's a different type of electric demand. Um, we're more attuned to trying to save money on fueling our cars, and we're seeing that. Even offering small incentives, we're getting complete shifts over to off-peak charging. And so if we can do that, I'm not concerned about EVs in terms of the electric grid. Okay. Um, but, of course, there's a lot of things that have to go right to, to have that happen. Not the least of it is consumers willing to do it, but right. <laughs> there's regulatory changes and whatnot. But that, that's sort of where I see the fork in the road there. Okay, Much and then on the, the uh, yeah, yeah on the decarbonization side and our reliance on natural gas is, is that going to be an issue moving forward? That that is a tall order. Um, so you know, switching, getting off coal, which everyone thought was going to be a challenge, was actually the easy part. Getting over to gas and this big boost in, in renewables that we've built in the province. That, well, it's pretty pretty amazing to see how quickly these happen. That was the easy part. The challenge is going to be the the clean firm 
resources that we need. So we have clean, raw energy and renewables, and we're going to keep building that because it's proving to be very cheap. Um, but we need the thing that can be there tonight, uh, last night. And for now, the options there are rather limited in Alberta. I mean, if you want it to be clean, the natural gas could be coupled with carbon capture. Mm-hmm. We could look at nuclear, but that's got a long lead time and a lot of technological uncertainty and cost uncertainty. Um, hydrogen peakers are another possibility that we'll be certainly looking at. Um, transmission is another one that we ought to be looking at more seriously because we saw that yesterday too. I didn't mention it, but imports were, were also coming in at full tilt during the peak. So leaning on our neighbors for capacity and then supplying them energy when we have surplus renewables is another route. Storage is another one, but that's also challenging because we don't need just hour-to-hour storage. We, we need multi-day, and that's, that's, that's a little harder. So the other option, of course, is keeping the gas fleet around but having it run sparingly because we actually like the capacity to be there to run sparingly. We just don't want all of the emissions from it running a lot of the time. But that raises questions in terms of will the owners of those plants, will the economics work out for them if they're only running 5 to 10% of the time in a year? So this is, this is the much bigger challenge. This is, this is the central challenge for Alberta's electric grid is, is how do you maintain reliability um, as we decarbonize our system. Yeah, well, plenty of conversation to be had around that uh, in, the, in the coming years here. We'll leave it there for now. Blake, appreciate uh, the insight and uh, thanks for making some time for us here today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.